couple of readings this morning, uh, Old Testament readings from Proverbs 1, 24 through 31, and then we're going to go over to Romans 1, 18, I'm sorry, 1, 18 through 28. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1, and as you're turning, just know this and understand this, that God is a God of grace, God is a God of mercy, God is a God of love, God is a God of great patience, but there's a time when that patience runs out. And we're under his judgment. And so that's why it's so important for us to proclaim the gospel. Tell people, come to the Lord, right? Because there's, there's a time when that judgment falls and you'll answer before the Lord. And we don't want people to get there, so we want to proclaim the gospel. But I want you to see this morning, even as we read from Proverbs 1, the connective tissue to Romans 1.18 and following. So Proverbs chapter 1. Beginning in verse 24, it says this, Because I've called you and you have refused, you have refused to listen. I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all of my counsel and you would not have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then you will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Why? Because they hated the knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. Would I have none of my would have none of my counsel and despised all of my reproof? Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Strong words. Romans chapter 1, Romans 1 beginning in verse 18, and I'll read through 32. And this is the, really the, kind of the condemnation, put everybody under the wrath of God, we're kind of all in, we're all in this boat before the Lord um, until he saves us. This is characteristic of the human heart, of human nature throughout the ages. Sometimes more uh, noticed, more relevant than others, or more prominent, I should say, than, than at other times, but it's always there. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth of God. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Why? Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images and resembling resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And likewise, the men gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. 
and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Again, tough reading, tough words, but this is why we do expository preaching. So you don't have to go over texts like this. You must deal with them. You have to bring them to the fore, and that's a good thing. Amen? Praise God, even though it's tough. This is what we need. It's God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much. We do thank you for your word, all of your word. Your word is sufficient, Lord God, for life. And so, Lord, we do thank you and praise you. And I just pray that you would be with us this morning and that you would help us and teach us, Lord, by your spirit, that you would bring us conviction where we need to be convicted, consolation where we need to be consoled, Lord God, to be encouraged where we need to be encouraged, and challenged where we need to be challenged, Lord, that we may look to you, that we may rest on you, that we may love you, Lord, and find your deep abiding love in us. Be with me, Lord God, to bring forth your word in a way that's honoring and glorifying to you, and helpful to us. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. All right, Romans 1, 18 and following. Huge section of scripture. It comes on the heels. Remember what it comes on the heels of. Now, Paul had just been talking about the glories of the gospel, right? That it's his privilege, his, his obligation to preach the gospel to the wise and to the foolish. Not ashamed of the gospel because it's a power of God unto salvation. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. We talked all about that good news. And why do we need that good news? Because of the bad news, <laughs> because of our state apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And Romans 1.18 puts every single person under that. Like John 3.36 says, the wrath of God abides upon the unbelievers. This is what we are before the Lord comes and changes us. This is what we deserve before he comes and transforms our lives. So this section um, comes on the heels of the gospel. This is the bad news. This is what makes the good news so good. Amen? And praise God. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to drill down and dig a lot deeper uh, in the next couple of weeks. But for today and for this morning... What I want to do with this passage, with part of this text anyway, is do like a 30,000-foot flyover, and I want us to seek to answer a question this morning. And that question is this, has God given us over? Has he removed his, his hand of, of grace, that restraint upon us, even as a nation? Again, I say this because God's word is transcendent. It's for all times, in every single place. And it's good to reflect upon that and to measure where we are by the word of God. And then as we need to, turn back to him. So that's what I want to do this morning. Like I said, next week we'll go back and we'll drill in. We'll, we'll, we'll get in a lot deeper in, uh, in, in the teachings here. But this is what I want to do today. Are we, as a nation, under his wrath and his judgment? And it's appropriate to think of this as we come to the 4th of July, Independence Day, and so forth. Um, but when you ask that question, I don't think many people are really going to believe it. Not really, anyway. You never feel like you're under judgment necessarily until that judgment comes, until that, that wrath is poured out. 
So it just kind of seems like things are going on the way they've always been, right? And that we, we know this from Scripture, right? Like the days of Noah, what, what was happening during that time in the days of Noah. If you remember Genesis chapter 6, we were told that the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. However, Noah had found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So when Jesus in the Gospels describes the events of his second coming, when he's coming back in judgment, what did he say? It'll be like the days of Noah, people marrying, giving in marriage, and going on as they would. When Jesus described the events that will surround his second coming, he said, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, the flood came and destroyed them. Jesus was pointing out the fact that although the people in Noah's day were totally depraved, they were totally wrong and totally against God, they just kept on going the way that they would. There wasn't the least bit concern about it. And they weren't concerned about God, that they were depraved and under judgment. Things were going on the way they always go on, right? Not so bad, is it? Still do the things that we usually do. The sun rises, we do our daily things. Doesn't seem to be that bad, is it? Are we under the judgment of God? And it's not that they didn't have a preacher. Remember in Second Peter, we're told that, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So he was preaching and he was warning and he was telling that the people were just going along their merry way until the judgment fell upon them. Think about that as we go through this message today because we do need to wake up. So what brings on the wrath of God? Again, more on this next time. We'll talk more about these categories next time. But very quickly, what brings on the wrath of God? Our sin, generally speaking. But the idea here in, in, in the scripture says that we suppress the truth about God and unrighteousness. Again, much more next week. We're going to talk about what it means to suppress, what that looks like. But basically, it's just taking the truth of God and ignoring it, pushing it down as much as we can like a beach ball in a swimming pool, right? You push that down and you suppress that truth, even though it's there, and occasionally it pops up and you see it. We try to suppress that truth of God. Number two is the rejection of that truth. We're told that it was plain to them through his attributes, his divine power and nature clearly seen. So without excuse, but they did not honor God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking. They rejected the truth about God. That's it. They have it. But they don't want to do it. They want to do what they want to do. So they're going to reject God's truth for their own truth or somebody else's truth. And then finally, replacing God. They exchanged the glory of the living God for idols. That's it. That's kind of the anatomy of sin, isn't it? That's the anatomy of the human heart. God gives us his truth. We suppress it, right? We, we, we reject it. We change it. We rationalize our sin. And then we replace God with the idols of our heart. So that brings on the wrath of God. Now, what's the wrath of God? Again, more on this next time. But very quickly, it's righteous anger in action. That's the wrath of God. The holy displeasure of God made manifest, right? He can't tolerate sin. He's a holy and righteous God. He's not a mean God looking to punish. He's a holy and just God that needs to respond to sin. You know, the way that preserves his honor and glory and, and judges sin, but also drives people to the cross at the same time. It's consequences for our suppression, our rejection, and our replacing. It's, it's consequences of our sin. At times, 
In the Bible, we see God's wrath. And when you think about it, usually you think about it in a dramatic way that he pours out his wrath, and he does do that in Scripture, right? We talked about the flood. We mentioned it. Sodom and Gomorrah, that was a judgment. Uh, Jerusalem in 7 AD, that was a judgment of God when the temple was destroyed. That's pouring out of God's wrath. At other times, his wrath is revealed in God by removing his restraint. That's a big deal. Mark that down. He removes his restraint. He removes his hand. He removes his favor. And he gives you over to what you want. Right? You want it? You got it. You can keep doing this. He does it sometimes on personal level. He does it with nations. Judges is a pretty good example of this. You had the people that had God reject, suppress, reject, replace God with their idols, go their own way. God brings judgment down upon them. But you see that. He lets them go to that point to where everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. Even with Samson, um, just on a, on a personal note, you don't have to turn with me to this passage, but I'm going to go back to Judges 16, verses 18 through 20. You know the story of Samson. He gave away his secret, his secret to his power, to Delilah, and she took very much advantage of that. So verse 18 says, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, come up again, for he has told me all of his heart. Then the lords of the Philistine came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called the man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He left him. He took that hand of restraint off him. And that reveals the wrath of God that puts us under it. He lets people go to their own natural inclinations, their own devices, their own desires, their own feelings, till they do what seems right in their own eyes. Aren't we living in that day today, right now? Aren't we? Absolutely we are. Everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes. Well, this seems right to me. This is the way I feel. This is who I am. I'm not worried about consulting. We're not going to be informed by the scriptures, just like in the days of Noah, but I'm going to do what I want to do. And it seems right and it seems fair. And I can make a case for the way that I feel. I can make a case for, the, for who I believe that I am and what I want to do, right? So who are you to say no? God kind of lets them go. They do what seems right, what sounds right, what seems to be fair. Who are you to tell me that I can't be this kind of person? That's exactly what's going on here. That shows God has lifted his hand of restraint. And it shows the nature. When God lifts his hand like that, what it does, and get this down, it shows just how sinful sin is, man. It shows the nature, the depth, the depravity of sin. And what results from that, the chaos, the disorder, the damage, the destruction, right? How much damage it does to us. But ultimately, On the good side, it shows the need for the gospel, how pressing the gospel is, because that changes everything. Amen. That's the good news, and we always want to hold on to that. Listen, today, in our nation, there's no doubt that we've suppressed, we've rejected, and we've replaced. This isn't going to be a history lesson. This isn't a rah-rah of America. I'm not doing that either. And I know it's not a a country that's, you know, pure as a wind-driven snow, nothing like that. But there's no doubt, just historically factual, 
Uh, we're not a, theon- a theocracy like Israel was. We're not compared to Israel. We're not even technically a Christian nation. There's no doubt about that. But we were, and I say were, that's just me, that's personal. We were the heart of Christianity for many, many years. That cannot be disputed. Even with the Puritans who came over, later on the Methodists and the Baptists had spread the gospel. There was always a priority on God. There was always a priority on worship, priority of family, work, civil government, education, science, medicine, mercy, missions, all from a biblical framework, all from a biblical worldview. That cannot be disputed. There's no doubt about that as you look at history, at the history. It's a biblical, even our legal system. You say, oh, it goes back to the Magna Carta. Really? You want to go back to the the, the foundations of the legal system. It goes back to the Levitical Code. It just does. And and even in the Constitution and throughout, that's where it goes back to, on the law of God. Why do you think we have the three branches of government? Because they understood the nature of the sinful heart. You needed those checks and balances so there wasn't power concentrated in one place. And that's because of their understanding of man's heart. Education, name it. Name any institution. Princeton, Harvard, Yale, Brown, on and on and go. Hundreds and hundreds of educational institutions were founded by Christians. Why? For the glory of God. That we might know the mind of God and understand the mind and heart of God to the glory of God, to prepare men for ministry. That's why these were founded. No doubt. There's no doubt. That's a fact. Um, Medicine. Our medicine is based on the imago Dei, the dignity and the intrinsic value of humanity, of man created in the image of God. There's no doubt about that. That can, that's why there was so much, so much emphasis and important placed on healing and bringing people back and serving them in that way, preserving the image of God in that glorious way. So even early on, you think about the hospitals that were out there, founded by Christians on Christian principles and values, for sure. Mercy Hospital, Providence, Presbyterian, even the Roman Catholic, Saint this, Saint that. You had, why? Because there was that concern with the image of God. There's no doubt that there was that influence of Christianity in many ways. And for our many faults as a nation, and there are many, no doubt about it, we have been a light for the world in many, many ways. No doubt in that regard over the years. However, that has changed. There's no doubt about it. It has changed, and this is when we tie into to Romans 1. We are living in a time right now, all of us together, where there's been that suppression, that rejection, and that replacing of God. And it is especially, it's always kind of like that throughout history, but there are more times when it's more obvious, more blatant, more severe than other times. And we're living in one of those times where it's very much upon us. We have traded it in. We have replaced, haven't we? There's no doubt. We've replaced the, sec- the sacred with the secular. I have no doubt about that. We've allowed worldliness to come into the church That's hard to argue. We've replaced creation with evolution as a society. We've replaced marriage with divorce, religion with science, sin with psychology. Well, we can explain away. It's not sin of your heart. It's just your environment, the way you were raised or some other factors that were involved in that. We've gotten rid of the objective truth and replaced it with subjective relativity. What's true for me might not be true for you, Flex, but it's true for me, right? That's my truth. That's what I'm living in. So there's not an objective standard anymore. One truth under God, but many truths. As many truths as there needs to be for people. We've traded in 
and replace education with indoctrination. There's no doubt that what's going on in many of our schools is indoctrination on many levels as we send our kids. That's why we were saying, kids, parents, stay away from the public schools right now, right? In many regards, in many ways. Bottom line is we replace God with man. And that's what Romans 1 is really talking about. Taking God, suppressing the truth, rejecting his laws, and replacing him with an idol, with man, man man-made. But we want to say, but it's not that bad, is it? It's not that bad. Here we are today. We're gathered together on this day. You you know, do you want to know how bad it is? Do you want to know how bad it is? Are you ready to know? Are you ready to learn this morning how precarious of a position that we find ourselves in, the situation that we're in truly? Listen, there are telltale signs throughout this text. I'm not even going to argue uh, from 29 on down. That, that could be another complete sermon. But just three points. I want you to understand this. Telltale signs. Telltale signs that we're under the wrath of God, that we've been given over, that he's taking that hand to restrain off. He's lifting that hand, man. And, and, and we're in a danger zone of that judgment coming down. Telltale, you know what a telltale sign is? You know, we hear that all the time. Telltale sign. Telltale sign is an indication that something exists that is or has happened. So if you have that rash and it's really itchy and it's spreading, what's that a telltale sign of? Poison ivy or poison oak, if it's whatever, you know, all those kind of symptoms. That's a telltale sign that something is going on. Or there's a telltale sign that we're under the wrath of God, that he's removed that hand of restraint. And we're going to just look at three this morning. So hold on and buckle up because here we go. Number one, verse 24, he says this, Therefore, God gave them up because they suppressed, because they rejected, because they replaced. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and deserved the creature rather than the creator. But I'm very passionate about this, so bear with me. Sexual morality, the lust of their hearts, that's number one. Sexual morality, that's, that's when you know, when it permeates a society, the impurity, the dishonoring of their bodies. I'm telling you, the first telltale sign is we live in a, we live in a sexualized society. We just do. It's very much that as we move through. There is total disregard for the intention, for God's intention regarding sexual relations. That's it. There's no, like in the days of Noah, you're not even thinking about God or what the Bible would say. That doesn't even enter your mind to inform you about sex and sexual relations. It just doesn't. We just don't live in that day right now, man. You're just doing what you want to do. You know, we don't look to God for the context of sexual relations. We don't look to God for the parties, for the purpose, for the parameters, and for the boundaries. We're not looking to God for that. Are you kidding me? I do what I want to do. And, and, and it just it wasn't like that early on. But we, we have degraded. We have pulled away from God. And he's, he's pulling his hand away from us. And he's letting us go to our own devices, what seems right to us, the desires of our own heart. Right? Forget about what God... Look, man, there has always been sexual morality. There's no question about that, obviously. We know that from Scripture. We know that from history. We know that from our lives. But to be given over is something else. That's when God is lifting the restraints. That's when he's saying, okay, you want it? You're, gonna dis- you're not going gonna- to... You're going you're gonna to get what you want, okay? And you're going to deal with those consequences. 
to be given over is more of an obsession with it. When it permeates societies, when you're just, just everywhere kind of all the time. And I think in our country, in our nation, in our context, we could pinpoint a time, right? Who, who's old enough to remember the summer of love, 1967? It's a big deal. It is that there are times and points in history where shifts take place. Again, there's always been sexual immorality, no doubt. But now, after the summer of love, kind of from 1967 to 75, 77, a lot happened that really brings it into the mainstream, takes it away from Scripture, what God has given it for, and it's out in the open. So when it's given over, it's just out there in the open, right? If it feels right, do it. If you're old enough, some of you remember that. The sexual revolution, and it, it encouraged to let go of all inhibitions. Just let go of your inhibitions. Don't worry about that fuddy-duddy stuff over there. Do what feels good to you. Feel no shame about relations in that way. And it was encouraged. Casual sex encouraged. How? Through the movies? Check out the movies in the 70s and going into the 80s. Through, through the songs, through the music, through TV, through culture in general, man. And so many things came to a confluence at that time, from the late 60s to the mid-70s, because you had that first wave feminism, right? No more, I could bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan, never let you forget you're a man, right? The woman kind of could do it all. I'm not constrained by this man anymore. That's first wave feminism. You had the pill. You had Roe. You had pornographic culture, playboy culture, Hugh Hefner coming into the city, all these things. You had change in divorce laws, making it easier. You had psychology and psychiatry really taking hold. So you're kind of getting rid of the sin and kind of psychologizing it, you know, just kind of nature, environment, and not the sinful heart. So to be given over, it says God gave them over. I'm going to give you over to the desires of your father. That's judgment. That's the wrath of God being revealed. It's not something good. It's, it's something not good. It goes against what God actually teaches and has for us because sex relation within marriage is beautiful it's a covenant it's love it's commitment it's completion it brings security it brings joy it brings pleasure it gives children that's what it's meant for we take it we mess it all up and part of that's because of this culture that's here to be given over that means that it's out of the shadows man Remember, you used to do that in the shadows. and Not anymore, dude. You're in the open now. Nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing hidden. And those who object, those who say, no, that's wrong, what happens? Ridicule. Ridicule, man. No, you fuddy-duddy, you fundamentalist. Go back to your corner over there. This is the way it is. Let us be free. Let us do what we want. Let us enjoy. It's open and accepted and approved. He says it right here, man. He says, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts through impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. That's a big telltale sign, isn't it? And look at the disastrous effects of that kind of casual sex that, that takes place. How many personal lives have been messed up? How many of us, how many of you have seen that in your own life because of this? How many marriages and families, societies have been damaged? How many unwanted pregnancies which lead to abortion? You know abortion, how, how strong we stand against that. You know the vast, 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 Aaron, 99, how many? 99.9% of abortions is because of unwanted pregnancies. It has a direct correlation back to this 
idea. The exploitation, especially of women and even children. Oh yeah, sex trafficking is very real. Lust is very real. It's, you want to get dark? I'm not going to get dark because of the context of where we're in today, but you want to get dark and want to come talk to me sometime about how sinful, how unimaginable some of the acts that take place and the perversion of the heart. And, and, and from people you wouldn't expect. It's dark. It's dark. Porn. Pornography is an epidemic. It enslaves. It fuels the lust. It tempts the mind and the heart. Often it's at the root of so many shameful and unspeakable acts. And it's just an explosion right now. It's everywhere in the culture. Everywhere online, right? It just is. This has got, this giving you over, man. I'm removing that restraint. And you're going to do it, and you're going to see the consequences of this. Do you know that the porn industry brings in more revenue per year than the NFL, NBA, MLB, and NHL combined? Those sports make billions and millions of dollars, billions of dollars. By point, and that's just the point that people pay for online. You see what I'm saying? This is the, the hand of restraint. Just that wave that just keeps coming. Adultery shatters marriages, breaks hearts, destroys families. But you know what the culture says? Don't you dare mess with that idol. Don't you dare touch this sacred cow, this idol of sex. When I want it, with whomever I want to deal with, you don't tell me. God has lifted the hand of restraint. He says it right here. You want to know a telltale sign that you're under the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven? That's number one, isn't it? Right. Tons of hookup sites. Now, I, I looked that up. I hope I don't get in trouble. I looked, because I was working on my, and so yes, I looked up hook, hookup sites just to see what would come up on Google. Whoa, my gosh. All these hookup sites came up. Do you know what that is? A hookup site. It's not like, um, what's that one dating site where they try to bring you together to be married and stuff? It's kind of good. That's a, a what's that called? Match.com. That's a nice one. These are like to hook up. I mean, to, to hook up and be involved in, in that way. So you have like Bumble, Tinder, Grinder, Ashley Madison. Ashley Madison actually had a little thing on the side of it that said, best hookup site for affairs. Yeah, you want to laugh because if we don't laugh, we're going to cry. This is what it is. This is what it looks like, right? Adult friend finder. It goes on and on. And that's just the ones on the regular web. Who knows about the dark web, what's back there? Listen, man, we are sex-obsessed, without limits, shame society. That's surely a sign that we're under God's wrath. We say, no, 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 it's not that bad, is it? It's really not that bad. Things are going on the way they always go. I don't see God's wrath really anywhere around us. I still go to the store. It's still nice outside. I still do my day-to-day. Am I under the wrath of God? That's not enough. There's a second telltale sign that God's wrath is upon us, that he's removed that hand of restraint. Look at verse 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And likewise, men gave up the natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Again, we're going to be revisiting these passages as we go through, but just for today's um, purposes, second telltale sign, proliferation of homosexuality in a culture. That's an indication, that's a telltale sign that God has removed his hand, his staying hand. 
that we're under, that God is not happy, that God is displeased, and we're under judgment, and judgment is coming lest we repent. Remember, always the good news and hold on to that. Again, homosexuality has always been around, but it's never been the intention of God. It's never been the design of God, and that's kind of what's going on here. Even the biology and physiology, he calls it a dishonorable passion, a dishonorable drive. It's, it's, in the, the idea of the scripture, it's a, it is a perversion of what God has given between man and woman. You take that and you pervert that to not a love of, an of, of other, but a love of sameness. And that's really what that means, a love of sameness. Not complementary, not completion. And an exchange takes place. He says they've exchanged a natural relationship for that which is contrary to nature. And so it, it, the idea behind that is it should be so very evident and obvious that even in design that this is not how God has designed that relationship to be. Just that it's not. And yet, we live not only in a sexualized society, but we live in a homosexual society. And a big turning point in our nation, in our country, in our context came when? 1969. How many of you know the Stonewall Riots? You ever hear that? Greenwich Village. It was a gay bar. Police raided it. Riots broke out, and they just spread. Kind of like what happened with Black Lives Matter when you had those riots just kind of spreading like that. That's kind of what happened here in the homosexual community, and that's when they came out, as it were. No longer in the shadows, no longer ashamed. We're here, and we're going to be here. So the Stonewall Riots was kind of that gateway. And then you see homosexuality, if you're old enough, like me, to be normalized from the 70s and through the 80s. Those of you who weren't born in the 80s and 90s, this is just kind of the way it's been for you. One and all was like this. If you're a little bit older, you could see that normalization even through TV, even through culture. How many of you guys remember Three's Company? Jack, like he was a fun gay guy, but he was like, you know, not really, but he had to pretend that he was. Soap had characters, kind of introducing the characters. Uh, Frasier, a lot about uh, those, those themes. Um, Will and Grace, of course, Modern Family. See, see a culture effect, so it normalizes. The, the movies broke back. We can go on and on and on all day long. Curriculum in the schools. By the mid-90s, it was part of society and accepted as God moves a hand of restraint. And then in 2015 with the Burgerfell, legalizing gay marriage, it was solidified. That's where we find ourselves. You understand? They gave themselves over. God's going to take that hand and say, okay, you're under the wrath, and this is the judgment, and this is the consequence of that. And so we even see the progression within the homosexual community and with that. Number one, if you were old enough to remember, it was just leave us alone. You guys have yours over there? Just don't bother us. Don't come after us. Let us go. We'll let you go. And then it moved to, no, 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 no. We're here, we're queer, we're not going anywhere, and we're going to put it... And now today, today, where's it at? Where's it at? You must accept, without question, or else, we're going to shut your bakery down. If you refuse to bake a cake, if you refuse to take pictures at a gay wedding, if you refuse to give in and to capitulate, you're going to pay a heavy price. See the progression? You see where we're at? We see the consequences as it moves on and on. Powerful lobby as well. Very powerful lobby. God gave them over. Have we been given over? Are we under God's... But things aren't that bad, are they really? Come on, pastor, man. You know, are things really that... that are we really under the hand of God in that way? Can it really be that? I mean, again, 
It's not affecting our day-to-day. We still get up, we have our coffee out on the porch, we go to work, we do what we do. It might be a little different than it was, but that's just kind of how things go. And is it really God's wrath? Remember the days of Noah. They were eating, they were drinking. Really? God's wrath? Noah was preaching to them. The third telltale sign, and this is what we'll end for today. The third telltale sign that we're under the wrath of God, verse 28. Let's read it together. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what not ought to be done. Again, we could elaborate on the rest of the text and it would just clinch it for sure. But we're just kind of sticking in the realm of uh, sexuality this morning, as it were. So a debased mind, you know what that means? It means literally to be tested and found useless, to be tested and found corrupted, to be depraved. And listen to this. Not proper, not ordered, not grounded in truth or reality. That's the debased mind. It's not grounded in truth and reality. So the idea is anything goes. Whatever your own feelings are and whatever you desire goes. Where are we at today? It's not a big leap from what we just read here to what we see going on right before our eyes with the transgender movement, is it? Most and the transgender movement has, has gained most favored nation status among us. You cannot touch it. It's untouchable. There's no objections to it. It must be tolerated. There's forced acceptance, and you know that. You know that. It's all around us. Go to the stores, man. Go walk into Target, and you're going to see it. Walk into Walmart, sections there. Giant Eagle. You have the pride there. Announcements over the speaker saying, hey, we recognize our LGBTQ people. We love them, and here's what we need to do. We need to do this, that, and the other thing. It's all around us, in the government, in our schools. Our children, it's, our, it's, and it's, it's not only going against biology and physiology as much as it's a denial. It's just a denial of reality. It's just my feelings. I feel this way, and so it must be so. And I feel this way today, so it must be this way today. Is not, does not, has not God removed his hand? Are we there? Are we not there? We're teaching young children, young children, that they could be whatever gender they want to be in school. And mom and dad, you can't say anything about that, let alone the church. We have to call pronouns. doesn't even make sense. Pronouns to, to hormone blockers in the day that we're living in. Again, we have to laugh because if we don't laugh, we're going to cry because it isn't, it's, it's absurd, right? So you want to laugh, but it's here and we need to deal with it as Christians. This is a sure sign that God has removed his hand, right? We live in a sexualized, homosexualized, and transsexualized world. Oh, but it's not that bad. Is it really? Again, on my day-to-day, it's pretty much the same. Look what you've been made to tolerate and to accept as a Christian in the last three years, in the last five years, in the last 10 years, in the last 20 years, and if you're old enough, in the last 40 years. It is not God's hand upon us. We've suppressed, we've rejected, and we've replaced. And listen to this. Sin begets sin, man. Don't think it's going to end anytime soon. So, so in verse 32... Again, we're going to pick up on all of this uh, a little deeper next time in the next couple of weeks. Though they knew the righteousness decree of the righteous decree of God, those who practice such things deserve to die. Not only do they do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. We love that. We love to be affirmed in our sin, don't we? Right. So, what is the what is the pervert, you know, 
porn addict adulterer going to say to the homosexual, oh, you're wrong for doing that? By what standard is he going to use? What's the homosexual going to say to the trans person? Well, that's really bad. You shouldn't be doing it. By what standard? If so, by what standard? Because there's only one standard, and that standard is God's standard that speaks to the truth. What are you going to say when pedophilia comes? Believe me, the groundwork is being laid for that. They're not even calling it pedophilia anymore. What are they calling it? Younger person attracted or something? They're laying the groundwork. You're seeing it all around us. Right? I, I talked to a relation of mine about five years ago, and, and somebody was struggling with wanting to, to transition back then. And she was totally against it. I said, that's crazy, that's sick, that's wrong, can't do that. And I kind of mentioned what I'm mentioning today, even about like the progression and you know, the immorality, the homosexuality. And she started yelling at me. She said, Joey, that, you don't, don't go there. Don't say that. That's how people were born that way. But this is so wrong. Not saying that today, right? Because here we are in the trans world for sure. Well, so what's next? See, this is God taking off that hand. No doubt. It's Romans 1. It's right here before us. Don't be like in the days of no. Now, you're going to have the world. The world's going to say things are great, right? If you don't believe in the Bible, this is, the way, this is progress. This is freedom. Read your little note that's in the bulletin, the quote from C.S. Lewis. The lost enjoy forever the horrible freedom that they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved. They want, and that's that slavery. They see it as progress. They see it as almost a good thing. Like verse, verse 32, they give heart of approval to those who practice it. Nothing's wrong. That's the way the world goes. And then you have people that are also others who have a moral sense, but somehow kind of say, well, you know, times change. You know, this is, it, it's, it's kind of, you know, they're, they're not bothering me really in my world. And if that's what they want, if that's how they feel, who am I, as long as they're happy, that's a passive, you know, kind of, kind of agreement in, in that way. And that's what so many do. Is there any question? Is there any, what more do we need? What more do we need? He says it. He says, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give you over. I'm going to give you over. I'm going to give you over. He gave them over. And that's a sign of God's displeasure. That's a sign of God's wrath. That's a sign of God's judgment to come. But the good news is, that's a sign of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? What are we to do? I'm going to leave us with this. What are we to do as Christians this morning? Just lament the fact. I'm just giving you the facts. Okay, we're we're bringing out the issues and the problem. But what are we to do? Well, we need to do what we should have been doing and what we haven't been doing for the longest time. What we neglected to do, what we failed to do, that we thought everything was fine because my church is fine and my church is growing and we're doing okay. And so we never preach the gospel fully and faithfully. We never preach it to our kids. We never preach it to the people coming in because we don't want them to be offended. We don't want them to leave. So we stopped preaching the fullness of the gospel. Repentance, hell, punishment, salvation in Christ alone. Our depravity, our sinfulness, His grace and His mercy. We don't want to do that. And as long as it didn't come into our church, we were fine until it comes into our church. And here it is. We need to stop our silly fascination, our silly self-serving evangelical schemes that loves the world to grow our churches, to have this, to have that. We need to stop playing footsie with the world and trying to please them. And we need to, number one, preach the gospel fully and faithfully. 
That's it. That's the power. That's what Paul was talking about. Number two, we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to fast. We need to pray for God's mercy. Look at this. We need to pray for his mercy because it is like the days of Noah, eating, drinking, doing my thing. No, right? It's here. It's not coming. It's here. So we need to pray for God's mercy and pray for revival. That's the hope too, amen? It's not hopeless. You know, it's like, okay, this is it. Very well, the Lord may return today, amen, if he does. But that's, our hope is that he would pour out revival, that hearts would be turned back to the Lord, that we would be, once again, a people that love God and want to live for him. That's revival, true repentance, truly living for him. That's the prayer, and that's the hope. So it's not by as dark as it is, it doesn't mean, okay, this is it, blah, blah. Maybe the Lord may return. But our job is to, to preach it, to pray, plead, Pray for revival, and then finally live sanctified, godly lives. You need to be there. Don't you get caught up in all this stuff that's going on. Don't you go down that path. Don't you be a hypocrite like that. We're to be that salt and light. We're the ones who say no and even expose that darkness with the light of truth. And when we do go down those paths, we quickly repent and come back to the Lord. We quickly seek that forgiveness and then start to live for him. There's joy in that as well. We live sanctified, godly lives, fearless lives, bold lives, unashamed lives, ready to give all that we have for the cause of Christ. Are you ready to do that? Wrath is upon us. The answer is the gospel. It's time.